Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. We're closing in on one week until the season opener, which means it's a good time to bring some normalcy back to the podcast. Uh, We decided to bring the old format back today, uh, which means you don't have to hear just the two of us talking back and forth the whole time. And so to welcome us into this ACC season for Notre Dame, we've invited former Clemson offensive lineman and Captain Eric McLean onto the podcast. Eric currently works as a studio analyst for the ACC Network and is featured on The Huddle, a weekly show airing Saturday mornings from 10 to noon before the first kickoff of the day. Eric, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It was hard to imagine that we have football uh, in just a week to see it, and and I know we're all so happy to be back. Yeah, let's just start there in terms of getting to this point where football is is a reality uh, almost here. How do you think the ACC has handled its approach in preparing to have a season amid the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I think they've done a fantastic job. The the medical advisory group that the ACC put together and and is used to really rely upon for a bunch of these different protocols that are in place, the testing and and how frequently we're we're looking to to test these student athletes. Uh, The ACC has done a great job. They've they've kind of been a leader in this space and, and really have been on the forefront of it and you have to applaud them to, to taking their time being very thorough and uh, understanding the situation fully uh, so big kudos to them and everybody involved in in making those decisions to ultimately keep our student athletes and coaches and staff uh, as safe as possible. Eric if you were still playing and let's say it was your last year at Clemson um and there was this back and forth, and and the ACC decided to do what the Big Ten did and kind of punt till till spring semester and so forth. How would you have felt as a player? Would you have said, "Hey, mom and dad, go go protest at the uh, league offices"? How would you have felt about that whole thing? Oh man, I can guarantee you, my parents would be protesting. I'd be right there beside them. You know, all classes are online anyway, so I could spend my entire day there. Uh, I think it's a shame. Uh, I don't think that spring football is going to happen. Uh, I think that that is even more uh, risking our athletes to injury and to, you know, expect them to play, 
you know, two full seasons that close together. If player safety is our ultimate goal, uh, which it is seemingly everywhere else, uh, then you're not going to play a spring ball. And I, I think it's just to keep people going, to have people uh, holding on to some type of hope. Uh, but but I do not think that we're going to play in the spring. And it, it's it's very unfortunate. You know, I could not imagine being a senior and my season being uh, dismantled and potentially never playing football again. Now, I totally understand, you know, the eligibility rule and the fact that, hey, this doesn't count whether you play or don't play. You can go and, and play somewhere else or, or even stay at your school. But who's paying for that? Where's the money coming from? Where are all these extra scholarships uh, going to be coming from? Because I know everybody can't afford it. So I think ultimately that is going to really hurt some people, and, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that that assessment. I, the spring season doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but certainly Notre Dame was affected by schools canceling uh, their fall seasons and had some holes on its schedule, and the ACC welcomed uh, Notre Dame as a, as a, uh, a member essentially for the year. Uh, what are your feelings on Notre Dame being allowed to join the conference for a year and having a chance at uh, playing in the ACC championship? Yeah, man, personally, I, I'm so jacked up. The brand of Notre Dame football, the, the history, uh, you know, just everything that, that Notre Dame has been, uh, you can't help but be excited. It's going to help any conference. And for them to join the ACC uh, for this one year at least, I think it's going to be great. Now, one stipulation that I had was I thought that they should – uh, share the revenue from the, the NBC deal, the TV deal that they have there. Once that was announced and, and on the table, I thought, you know, all bets are off. That's fantastic. Everybody should be happy. It, it's, it's completely fair. Uh, and you just hope that Notre Dame enjoys this uh, and wants, to, wants it to be something that they carry on and, you know, make it a full-time thing. Eric, if I'm not mistaken, you played in that 2015 monsoon that we were down there for um, in the press box, sheltered. Uh, at the time, what was your perception of Notre Dame's program? And, and did you have any resentment about their kind of one foot in, one foot out in the football conference? Or were you excited that you had that opportunity to play in a game like that? Yes. Yeah, so for me, um, you know, I have a lot of family up in the Indiana area, a lot of family that doesn't like Notre Dame, a lot of family that does like Notre Dame. And for me, it was kind of on the fence of, uh, you know, even looking to, to go to Notre Dame, you know, if, if my dad had his way, uh, you know, I would have been rocking a gold dome and, and playing there for the Irish. But, uh, you know, we have a different way to going about it. And, of course, once I, I knew that we were going to be playing uh, the Fighting Irish, I, I was so excited, man, just unbelievably jacked up. I had so many family members uh, at that game. So, for me, it, it was just excitement. And, of course, to, to better your schedule, even if necessarily it may have been uh, a down year throughout the years for Notre Dame, just having that brand uh, in general, I think is, is so special and really helped. So I welcomed it with open arms and, and that team, I mean, they were so talented. There was so much NFL uh, prospects in that game. It, it was a heck of a battle. Eric, certainly uh, Clemson has sort of established itself as the top dog in the ACC, um, starting with the end of your career um, there. What, what I think the outside perspective has sort of become that it's kind of Clemson and everybody else in that conference, and it's become a bit of a one-team league. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I think when you look in recent history, for sure. You know, FSU has been down a couple of years. You know, a team that you expect to win championships. Miami hasn't really been the same since they entered the ACC outside a couple of years here and there. 
And then it's just the lack of consistency. One year you'll have, you know, Louisville acting as a top five team, top three team. You'll have Pittsburgh step up, Virginia Tech, Virginia. It's kind of been a revolving door, uh, and, and even North Carolina, excuse me, that there's just there hasn't been consistency. And I think that's been the biggest knock on the ACC is the fact that it has been Clemson plus one for the past couple of years, and you don't really know who that plus one is going to be. I think what we're going to see this year, though, is, is a much better product. I know it's, it's a crazy year, and, and it's been such a – just a different process in getting ready for the season, preparing with summer and spring and lack thereof, uh, that you might see some sloppiness at first. But when you look at the individual talent, uh, even with these opt-outs, this is the deepest the ACC has been in a long time. Quarterback play, defensive backfields, and, and even defensive ends. I mean, there, there is first-round talent everywhere you look. So I think that we're going to start to see teams capitalize and build on that. What Mac Brown has been able to do at UNC has been tremendous. He's absolutely crushing it in recruiting. And, and that's the name of the game. When you can build that longevity and have year in and year out four and five stars and even those three, two, no stars that you can develop into big time guys, that, that's, what, that's what you like to see. It's, it's not a rebuild. It's just reloading. And I think there's some teams that really have an opportunity uh, to build on, on last year and, and going forward. Eric, there was a point where, and you probably heard the term Clemsoning, um, was a verb that people used about teams that kind of fell off the big stage in big games. And Clemson got over that, and now they're kind of the opposite of that. And Notre Dame might be kind of at that stage. I mean, they've been competitive in some of the big games, and some of them they haven't. Uh, how did Clemson get to that next level where they were able to win the big games. What did Dabo do and the team do that, that made that evolutionary step? Yeah, I think it's interesting how that word has, has changed from, uh, you know, winning the big ones, losing the small ones, to now Clemsoning means we're just going to whip your ass. That, that's what it's kind of changed into. And, and it's funny how you look at how they, they did it. And, I, and really, I think it's just the fact that they're respecting every opponent the same. There, there's no – oh, we're playing Florida State this week, we're playing Notre Dame this week, okay, maybe it's, it's Wake Forest or, or Duke. We're, we're not going to prepare as hard. We're not going to be as excited. I think that was the biggest thing that Coach Sweeney did was just ingrain into every single person on the team to where every game is the biggest game of the year. It, it was kind of funny that my senior year, it seemed to be pushing the hardest because that's really when Clemson was making this transition to where they are now where I would go and talk to the media and, and I would open up saying that and, and people are rolling their eyes saying, okay, we get it. But truly it was something that our team believed. And, you know, I think that's just the biggest thing is you have to respect everybody and give them your all and play to your own standard. You know, don't, don't play to uh, somebody else or play lower to somebody else, you know, for, for Notre Dame, as you mentioned, might be going through it. They have to say, Hey, look, th this is who we are. This is our expectations. If they can't keep up, you know, that's a dang shame because we're about to blow you out. Eric, looking at this season, I think many people expect Notre Dame and Clemson to sort of be battling it out for the, the, the conference title and certainly playing against each other in the regular season and potentially meeting again in the ACC championship. But besides those two, what, what teams do you think Notre Dame fans should be most worried about in terms of uh, maybe uh, competing with them to, to kind of take, off, take Clemson off the, off the top there? Yeah, and then that has kind of seemed the, the media favorite, favorite, the kind of talk of the town since, 
you know, Notre Dame joined the conference. But I tell you what, you guys have a tough schedule, uh, and the ACC is welcoming you uh, uh, with a tough one. So I think when you look at it, Florida State's defense is, is going to be great this year. I, I think that they have so many athletes on that team. I think they potentially are going to have, you know, three, maybe two first-round draft picks when you, when you look at their defensive secondary uh, between Nazaldine uh, and Asante Samuel Jr. Really like those guys. And then up front, big Marvin Wilson. Uh, you keep looking up farther on the schedule. You have Louisville, who we know is going to be one of the most explosive offenses in the country with what they're able to do in their three-headed monster with quarterback Mikhail Cunningham, uh, running back J.B. and Hawkins, and then, you know, wide receiver freak of nature, Tutu Atwell, um, and, and then really Pitt and North Carolina on your schedule as well. So it's going to be tough, uh, but when you look at who's going to be the biggest challenge or who's going to be, you know, kind of the running mate, uh, for second place, assuming that Clemson finishes first, I think you have to look at North Carolina. I think especially with that game being late in November, I think it's a Friday night game um, away. So you're at Chapel Hill. Uh, they, they have a lot of firepower, man, coming back. And, and really that it's, again, it's that consistency. Can they build upon what they were able to do last year? You look at Sam Howell's numbers and it was just freaky. I mean, to be a true freshman and to throw for – 3,600 yards and 38 touchdowns, we've never really seen that before, you know, outside of maybe a couple of redshirt guys that, you know, had a year to develop. And I'm thinking specifically Jameis Winston, you know, who went on to win the Heisman. So when you add in together with three wide receivers who I think you can line up against anybody in the country and, and discuss them being the best, and then two, uh, you know, just dogs in the backfield, it's going to be a real challenge. And I cannot wait to watch that game, especially the quarterback battle. You're talking about two Heisman hopefuls and Ian Book and Sam Howe, there, there's going to be a lot of drama and buildup to get to uh, late November. I'm going to follow up on your thought there on the quarterbacks. You know, Trevor Lawrence and Sam Howell have a lot of high expectations for them. Ian Book, I'm curious for somebody that doesn't see him every day, that's not covering him all the time, what's your perception of Ian yeah, I, I love him. I think that, you know, he's a, he's a great quarterback, a great leader. He's super active with his legs. And it was interesting to watch Notre Dame last year kind of shy away from running him early. And then it developed into, you know, getting him back involved in the running game. And I think you guys found some real success there. But that, that's what he's good at. You know, he's good at creating. And a guy that has a, a strong enough arm to make all the big throws, the question mark is, though, is the lack of depth and experience at wide receiver. I mean, everybody seemingly gone with Claypool, Komet, Fink, uh, and then even some running backs. So I'm looking at the leading wide receiver coming back had 11 catches last year. So, so you're looking at that familiarity, guys not being on the same page. Again, not having spring, not having summer to work with a whole new cast of characters. How is that going to favor or hurt, you know, Notre Dame in the long run? One thing that Notre Dame has – struggled to, with consistently, I guess not struggled with consistently, but struggled to find consistency at times is the Notre Dame, is its offensive line. Um, they've had a lot of ups and certainly um, a number of downs in, and unfortunately for them, those downs have come in some of the big games and uh, sort of impeded them in, in some of their losses. Uh, what, and that's, that was, has gone back to even when Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey were here that they weren't right. able to overcome those things. What does it take for an offensive line to maybe live up to the challenge against those tough defensive lines? And, and how hard is that? 
Yeah, it's just building that continuity. And again, I, I know it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse here, but not having spring, not having a full summer to, to be with your guys and to get that, uh, again, cohesion that you need on the offensive line, that, that can hurt you if, if you have an inexperienced group. I, I think that offensive line is going to be the strength of, of Notre Dame's team this year. I think it starts with big, big uh, Liam Eichenberg. I think that he's going to be a fantastic NFL talent, a guy that's been kind of a, a solid rock for Notre Dame. Uh, Aaron Banks, a, a guard, and then even Jarrett Patterson. I think those three guys have an opportunity to be on, uh, you know, preseason All-ACC lists, um, and, and that's who you want to lean on. Now, I, I think that, you know, when you establish the dominance up front and, and you can move and change that line of scrimmage, everything else is easier, and it opens up so much of the offense. But it's not going to be an easy challenge. Again, I just mentioned all those teams going up against, specifically looking at Florida State, Pittsburgh and Clemson, I mean, those are some tough defensive lines that those guys are going to be going against, and even just total defenses with blitz packages, disguising things. So it's lucky and it's great that you have an experienced offensive line and a third-year starting quarterback to identify that stuff. But again, picking it up at the end of the day, it's it's no easy task. And, you know, Pitt and Clemson specifically, they're going to bring it from any and everywhere, and you have to be so alert in those games. One of those – areas of inconsistency has been short yardage situations. So when the, the defense knows you're trying to run the ball and, and Notre Dame has necessarily been able to do that, if you're, if you're to make or to create a sort of a responsibility pie, how much is that coming down to mentality? Is it, is it a physicality thing, a communication thing? Is it a scheme? What, where would you, what, what is the most important parts of that? You know, it's it's hard to say, right? Because I, I think truly, and, and maybe it's cliche, maybe it's not, all of that stuff matters. You know, you have to have the attitude that we are not going to be stopped as an offensive line, as a singular offensive lineman, that I'm going to remove this man against his will and, and go in another direction. Number two, though, it, it is scheme as well. You know, you've seen so many times that, you know, just the play call is, is what are you thinking? What are we doing here? Whether it's you know, trying to do some type of outside play, a zone stretch, you know, or just running into an overloaded side. So I, I think there is so many different things that go into it that there's almost a perfect storm that can be created against you and, and the situation just doesn't work. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how does Notre Dame approach that this year? Are they going to be running book more in those situations? Again, relying on his legs and his decision-making ability, or are you going to give it to one of these younger unproven running backs and say, hey, go figure it out. I just want to say before I give you my last question that I hope the smoking pig is doing all right through COVID. <laughs> we enjoyed Come eating on. there. <laughs> Man, that's a great place. And, and you guys loaded it up uh, yeah. in 2015. I think so. I think you guys rented the whole place out, right? The Notre Dame fans did rent part of it yeah. out, yes. Yeah, it was and awesome. was, it was a little concerned about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, coach, money's money. You got you to gotta share the wealth. <laughs> yeah. My last question is, you know, Notre Dame fans like to ask us about recruiting and closing the gap with Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. When you look at Notre Dame's roster, where do you think the position groups are where maybe there's the most work to do in recruiting in terms of catching up talent-wise? Yeah, you, you know, I think it, it obviously starts with the offense and defensive lines, you know, but but again, Notre Dame has such a rich history of offensive linemen. I don't think there's any question there about development or, or prospect wise, but but you always have to just solidify that each and every year to where 
you know, you're, you're getting some of the top guys in the country. Now it doesn't necessarily have to be five stars every single year, but you know, you want to be in contention for that. It, it should be a destination uh, place for offensive linemen. When you see who's in the NFL right now, how did they get there and how they were molded by Notre Dame coaches. And then to me, it's, it's on the outside, it's skill position. Uh, obviously a big question mark this year for, for this team. When, when you see how many guys have left due to graduation in the NFL, so that is going to be answered whether, you know, we went out and recruited the right guys. You know, there's going to be so much opportunity uh, and, and holes to fill in those positions. We're going to find out really quick is if the classes that we brought in the last two or three years are, are, are worth the scholarship. And that's always the most intriguing thing to me. So, you know, I think it's always line of scrimmage. Uh, and then and obviously your outside guys and, and how they can compete. Eric, last one for me as well. The Notre Dame fans were kind of kicking and screaming when they had to try and find the ACC network uh, for Notre Dame's <laughs> game against Duke last season. And obviously there's a chance to be on the ACC network again this year. So hopefully everyone has located that channel and has that that's still on <laughs> subscription. What can they expect if they tune in to, to watch you guys on the huddle each week? Oh, man, you're, you're going to have so much fun. Uh, it, it's been a total joy to work with these guys. We've got a new host. Uh, who's actually a Notre Dame grad and, and Notre Dame legend on the hardwood there and Jordan Cornette. And, man, he, he's been fantastic. He, he really loves the game of football, tries to understand it more and more every time I talk to him and, and is just such a good guy at dispersing the questions. But, you know, we're, we're going to be super fair. We're going to be honest. Uh, and, and we're going to tell you how it is. And, and, again, I hope you tune in because we have a lot of fun while talking about the greatest sport in college football. Eric, I, I know that you can bully both of them, but I, I will warn you, Jordan Cornette's going to be harder to knock down than Jack Collins. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told me first day on the job. He said, hey, we can do a chest bump anytime. I said, well, big fella, uh, I've, I've had my fun there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, well, we really appreciate you taking time to join us, and we look forward to, to, to watching your coverage on the ACC Network this season. No doubt. Thank you, guys, and good luck this year. And now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the Degenerates, and it is finally back. For those who have missed it, with the season opener coming next week, I thought we um, should probably take some time to offer up some season predictions on the podcast, so I came up with some prop bets for us. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 32.5 touchdown passes for Ian Book. Well, and I'm going to assume in in every case that Notre Dame is going to play its 11 regular season games. So we're going to base it on that. And they obviously could play some postseason games too. I, I, I looked, I think there's an opportunity here for Ian because Notre Dame is only playing three teams that were in the top 50 in total defense last year. And so I thought, but I think some of the teams that weren't are improving. I think when you look at, um, top players in the country, a lot of them are like ACC pass rushers and ACC defensive linemen and so forth. Right. The other thing that kind of entered into this to me was, is Notre Dame going to have more rushing touchdowns? And I think they are based on what Tommy Reese likes to do. So I'm actually going to go under on this. I, I went with under as well. Um, last season he had 34 touchdown passes in 13 games. Um, so this would this would actually be a, a slight increase in a per game touchdowns based off of their current schedule. So 
I I think one of the things that maybe swung me in the direction of going under was I'm not sure that there's as many chances for five touchdown games like he had last year. Last year he had 15 touchdown passes against New Mexico, Bowling Green, and Navy, and I don't see as many opportunities to have five touchdown passes, and some of those came in most of the first half against some of those teams. So I don't know that they're going to have as many lopsided games that they'll be throwing the ball all over the field early and often that lead to five touchdown games. Um, so I think that will make it tougher for book to kind of accumulate uh, high numbers of touchdown passes. Not that I don't think he will struggle or anything, but I just don't think that he's going to be able to get um, over 32 and a half. Next one I have for us is over under five and a half interceptions for Kyle Hamilton. Well, he had four last year and he wasn't a full-time player. I think that teams will try to throw away from him, which is going to be very difficult when you're a free safety. If he were a corner, I think it would be a little bit easier to hold that number down. With him being a safety, I'm going to go over. I think he's going to have six or more. Yeah, I, I went over as well. I, I originally had set the number at four and a half and decided to bump it up to five and a half. Um because I thought, well, maybe I, I, try to, I try to find things that we'll disagree on potentially um, and, and make it harder to choose. And I think I made it slightly harder, but I don't think I made it hard enough. I think uh, the bump to five and a half may not have been quite enough, even though last year only six players in the FBS had six interceptions in a, in a full season last year. So if Kyle were to get six interceptions this year, that would be quite the feat. Um, but it's, it seems uh, a bit foolish to doubt Kyle Hamilton from what we've seen so far and what uh, we expect from him moving forward. Next one I have for us is over under 13 and a half tackles for a loss for Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa. Well, you know, theoretically he might play fewer games. He had 13 and a half, I think, last year. Correct. You know, that people that led the country were in the low 20s. You know, how are they going to use him? Is he going to be in coverage more where he doesn't have those opportunities? I, I just think he's going to be so dynamic, he's going to have more. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I went over as well. He he just takes – he just covers too much ground to uh, make me feel comfortable that he won't end up making that many tackles for a loss. I think he can uh, make some big plays here and there. I think um, especially the way he was used against Iowa State may indicate that they um, – can be more active with him and maybe blitz him a little bit more too. Um, and that gives them some options. Now, obviously that will depend on how they feel about the rest of the secondary. Are they comfortable enough in blitzing and not getting their secondary exposure? Or you go the other way to do they feel comfortable enough where they can blitz um, and, and they won't get exposed. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out, but um, I will go over. I just think he's going to have a really good season. And uh, it's been interesting to see, I say the word interesting too much, but it's been cool to see that there's been so much uh, attention to him that he's that he's projected as a first-round pick by a number of draft analysts, which I think is quite the leap from what he took coming into last year. Now I think we all sort of anticipated his athleticism and he had a chance to be this kind of player, but um, he really has um, made a name for himself and this season can really cement that and potentially building a draft uh, stock for himself. Next one is over under six and a half touchdowns scored by a true freshman. You know, I try to think, I mean, we're basically 
probably talking about Jordan Johnson, Michael Mayer, Kevin Bauman, and Chris Tyree. I guess you could throw Xavier Watts in there too. You know, I think Tyree's going to be pretty dynamic, but will it translate into touchdowns? I'm I'm thinking maybe a couple from him and a couple from Mayer. So I, I'm going to go under on this. I am going under as well. We're off to a uh, fast start and uh, having a lot of agreement here. Um, I I think this this is a line that was a bit tough for me to set because I think it you know it's pretty. It's very heavily predicated on what Chris Tyree does this season. Um, if he's a consistent player in the backfield and someone they trust near the goal line, um, it would seem to reason that they could surpass six and a half touchdowns this season, um, especially if Michael Mayer can get in the mix as a red zone target um, and maybe even Jordan Johnson or Kevin Bauman as well at tight end. Um, so I, I, I went the conservative route and, and not knowing for sure that that's going to happen, um, but I, I think it wouldn't be – unreasonable for Notre Dame to have that. And that would be um, quite the turn for Notre Dame because I don't know that they have many freshmen that make that, that much of an impact as for, uh, on the offense um, at Notre Dame. Last one I have is who will have the most receptions this season? This will be hard. I guarantee you we won't agree on this. <laughs> well, it's harder to have agreement because there's more options. It's not either, an either or. <laughs> okay. What do you got? So, I'm going with Kevin Austin. You know, he's going to miss the first three games, and maybe more than that. I'm really rolling the dice here. But I think everybody else is going to be so even that that there's going to be a lot of parity, and I think he is the guy on their roster that's, that's a deep threat that also has size, and I think Ian Book's going to have a lot of confidence in him. You know, how – how will he, you know, how much rust will, will there be missing, you know, eight to 10 weeks basically with a broken foot? I'm not sure, but I, I'm going to roll the dice with him just because I think he's going to be a go-to guy. Yeah, he, he certainly has the talent to be that guy. I, I'm i not willing to be as bold um, with the uncertainty of the injury. Of course not. And, and I, I, I really do think that Ben Skoranek has a chance to emerge as a go-to guy in Kevin Austin's absence. Um, I think Ian Book will have good chemistry with him um, and will look to Ben a lot while Kevin Austin is out. And then by the time Kevin returns, it would seem that Notre Dame will have to find a way to, to keep Ben involved in the offense. And obviously that would recall, probably require some rotation with Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin potentially. Um, but I, I do think that um, he will at least be able to build up a big enough lead on Kevin Austin in those first several games or a few games, depending on how long he's out, um, and then be able to hold him off. I'm not sure that I see another guy. And that certainly could be like a Braden Lindsay because he seems to be the guy that no one else is quite like on the roster. Um, but he may also be used with some carries. It, well, it, it, I guess it could depend on if they decide to do a forward handoff or a backward handoff in terms of uh, what they do with Braden Lindsay. But uh, I, I think that um, – Ben Skoranek is the one I feel the most confident in, but I think I think we're kind of just throwing darts there. I think there's a lot of options there, and it, it it would, in my opinion, I think someone will be consistently higher than the rest of the team, even though um, there are a lot of options. And I, I just think that that tends to be how things kind of work out, um, and I don't know if it'll be Ben Skoranek, but that's who I would uh, place my bet on. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? 
Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right. Let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Adam Luce at ACO Luce. Any speculation of who's starting at Buck Linebacker or the second safety? Who are you most excited to watch of the newcomers? Um, well, I think at Buck Linebacker, it, it's going to come down to Jordan Jenmark, Heath, Jack Lamb, and Shane Simon. In, and the answer may not be the same in late October as it is on September 12th. I think it's going to be a combination. I think you're going to see George and Mark Heath start the opener. And I think you're going to see Jack Lamb in that third down specialty role that he was in their really effective dime package last year. So I think you'll see Jeremiah Wusu, Kormoa, and Jack Lamb as the linebackers on third down. And Shane Simon could surprise us. I mean, he was always a guy they thought could really develop. And it seems like he's finally finding some traction. I just don't think it's enough in September to bump those other guys. And what about the second safety spot? Second safety spot and who among the newcomers am I looking forward to? The second safety spot, you know, I would have said Houston Griffin in July. You would say Houston Griffin? I said Griffin. Now, Brian Kelly's got me going. <laughs> Griffith. I would have said Houston Griffin just to make Brian happy. <laughs> For some reason, I think Isaiah Pryor may have kind of moved ahead of him just based on little snippets here and there, I guess, reading between the lines. I think they'll both play a lot. And in terms of the newcomers, I'm most interested to see Chris Tyree. You know, when he was being recruited, he was being sold, and and including by me, as a missing piece type of player. And then there were some reservations about his readiness to be that guy as a freshman. And Brian Kelly's really pushed back on that notion and feels like he has the toughness and the speed to make a difference. So I want to see what that looks like. So Chris Tyree's my guy. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I think we all want to see what Chris Kyrie can do, especially since we haven't been able to see it in practice in any way. Um, so I, I'm pretty excited to see what that looks like, even though I have been one of the guys that were, wasn't totally convinced that he would be like a savior for the running back group. Um, in terms of the Buck linebacker, I, I tend to agree that it will probably be Jordan Jenmark Heath. Um, it was interesting, Brian Kelly said in his press conference earlier this week, that we know who's going to start at the Buck but then he didn't actually provide a name um, and he didn't get a follow-up question to answer that. Um, at least that was asked of him on, on the press format. I uh, did submit that question. <laughs> I, I figured that some people probably did, but it didn't actually get asked. Um, and then the, the safety thing is strange to me that he keeps bringing up Sean Crawford. Um, and I don't know what he means in terms of Sean Crawford at safety, if, if it's, if it's a, like more of an emergency situation kind of thing, because even last year they had Sean Crawford working at safety in, in camp. And then I don't know that we saw much of that in a season. Um, a little bit. And in their dime package, he kind of was, and he kind of wasn't. So, and, and so I, I, I'm a little un, uh, confused, I guess, about what, what that means. And if that means that they don't trust Houston Griffith or Isaiah Pryor, I would just based off of, I know it's a small sample, but what we saw in the one practice in the spring, I felt pretty confident about Houston Griffith. And I've always liked him as a safety prospect. Um, 
coming into Notre Dame. Uh, but I, I always Mr. Spring, though. It, he always has the great winter workouts, great attitude, great guy in spring. And at some point, he's going to do it in the fall. He's just too talented and too wired to be a good, great teammate. At some point, it's going to happen for him. Yeah, I would think so. And we'll see if, it, if that starts uh, early this season. Uh, we had a couple questions about Asita Aquanu from D.O. Carroll 1 and Samuel Ramirez at Samuel 27RC. Um, do you have any clarity on Asita Aquanu's move to running back? Um, do you stay? Do you see him staying at running back, or will he go back to linebacker? Um, and uh, was this a result of Notre Dame just needing a body um, because of perhaps something connected to COVID, or is this a bona fide position switch? I know that's yeah. a lot ways that to the same question but that wasn't uh yeah that wasn't something we were able to follow up on you know i i've certainly heard rumblings that this is more of a cross training situation that it is a hard and fast position switch you know sometimes also you're just kind of experimenting cj precise when they moved him from wide receiver to running back they were not at all committed for that to be a long-term solution, and he was just so good that spring that they couldn't move him back. Um, it was it was a revelation. You know, Asido Kwanu played both sides of the ball in high school, was a pretty good running back. I mean, 236 pounds. I guess you look at the depth chart and what make – or the scholarship chart and what is confusing to me is the – everybody being granted another year of eligibility. So – I think the only person that you're really going to for sure lose is if he has a great year is Jeremiah Wusukormo going to the NFL. But running backs, even if this was a traditional year, you still have all your running backs coming back next year and you're trying to add a recruit. Well, you you have a verbal commitment, but you're theoretically going to sign another. So you'd have eight running backs you know, you look at the linebackers, and Jordan Jen Markeith is the only senior with expiring eligibility if it were a normal year. I think they're just going to wait and see how it does. But I think you're going to see a lot of guys cross-training two positions in case there's a COVID hit. You know, I think you're going to see an emergency quarterback. I think Kyle Hamilton could play receiver in the red zone. I think those are all kind of options on the table. It, did I answer both of the questions there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I guess the only other thing was, is do you think that this will last? Do you think that Osita Quana will stick as a running back? I mean, it just depends on how he looks in a game. I mean, if he can move the pile at six foot one, 236 pounds, you know, I mean, that's a lot bigger back than even Jafar Armstrong is. I mean, if he can get you third and one, third and two, fourth and one, you know, you know, maybe you have something there. I think he's an excellent linebacker, but there's not a clear path to playing time. He's not a rover. So if Jeremiah Wusu kormoa leaves, it's not like there's a path. There, the, He's still blocked. He's still going to have to beat out those people that are getting a lot of experience right now. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume that given the fact that they've moved both Asida Okwanu and Kendall Abdul-Rahman to running back, that there were some issues in this preseason buildup in terms of availability, whether it was guys dealing with some injuries or guys dealing with uh, COVID 
19 positive test or being caught up in contact tracing, it would seem to reason that there was some availability issues there. And I don't know that we're going to get any clarity on that necessarily. Um, but I think that's probably why you see two different guys moving to running back who probably aren't necessarily going to make an impact at the position if everyone is healthy. Um, so I, I do think that Asita's Aquano's move is probably will be predicated on just how well he does at it. If they, and if they feel like they need what he brings to the backfield that they, that they don't have that, I think it's, it seems pretty clear that they don't need him at linebacker right now. They have a lot of options at linebacker. Um, and so that's why they're willing to let him work at running back. Um, but I, I don't know that this is going to be a move where we see Isidio Aquanu scoring touchdowns uh, in the first few games of the season. I think it's more of a being prepared, um, and we'll see how things play out from there. I, I think I don't know that that means that he won't necessarily be good at it. I think he could be good at running back. Um, I do like him as a running or linebacker prospect as well. He's one of the more physically impressive guys. He's one of the guys you want kind of going out there and showing off and take, take photo shoots of and let him lead your team off the bus because he's, he's a pretty stacked individual. But I think uh, that uh, we'll have to wait and see how this kind of pans out for him. Next question we have is from Andrew Callen at a Callen one. Do you think Sean Crawford at safety because of his football IQ and communication uh, as the quarterback of the defense with Elliot and Gilman gone, or is there something about, his skill set or injury history that projects him better there? That's, this is, I think, the toughest question that we'll have this week um, because we haven't seen practice. You know, when I watched Sean play safety in some of the practices last fall camp, I was impressed. You know, I think he can play a lot of different things. He can still be your nickel. I think some of it is you have five safeties, and I think we had heard rumblings that safety was a position that did get hit by COVID at some point. And, it, and if you even have one injury or a COVID case and quarantine, well, you're down to bare minimum. You have a lot of numbers at cornerback. And I think a late surge here by Nick McLeod has maybe allowed them to feel pretty good about him maybe becoming a starter. The, the reservation I had with Tariq Bracey and Crawford being the two starting corners is what do you do in the red zone with tall receivers? You know, right. you got 5'11 and 5'9. So I still think this is more of a cross training thing um, because I think Sean, will, Sean is still the best nickel option. Uh, but I think you need to fortify those numbers at safety. I, I even asked Brian Kelly about that a couple of Zooms ago. I said yeah. it's five safety's enough yeah I think uh it it's it's still hard for me to imagine him out there as a safety in, in a lot of in a regular uh, role um he just doesn't have the size um to, that you would want at safety he certainly I think one thing that does project well is his kind of knack for being around the ball he's a bit of a ball hawk and I think you certainly like to see that with your safeties and I don't think that he couldn't handle like tackling guys or anything like that um so I'm not sure that his injury history has played a role. I, I don't think I, – I, I, to me, it's not an indication that he's not quick enough to play cornerback or anything like that. I imagine some of it has to do that they trust him at cornerback too, or certainly Mike, Mike Mickens could teach him things at cornerback that he might not know yet. But he's been a cornerback in college football for five years now, so he probably has a pretty good sense of what he needs to do at the cornerback position. And so they're willing to 
um, prepare him as a safety as well, where obviously he would have less experience. Um, so I, I'd love to get a better explanation for it. Um, maybe we will get that uh, the next time we talk to Brian Kelly. Um, and I think it, 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 whether or not we get an explanation may dictate, maybe be dictated by what the depth chart looks like. Depend if granted they give us one uh, when when uh, things get rolling uh, next week in game week. Because if he's listed as a starting safety, we're certainly going to have plenty of questions of why why that would be um, and and what what he's done at that position. Uh, to to kind of merit that. Next one is from Brendan at Very Piratey. Can you make a case for me that Braden Lindsay ends up as the breakout star on the offense this year? You know, I don't want to throw water on anything Brendan does because he does the um, Photoshop stuff, and he made in the voice judges he made me Nick Jonas, and he made Carter Kelly Clarkson. So I don't <laughs> you're, want to. You're forever. That. You're forever indebted to him for that. Yeah, I, I do not want to get on his bad side. <laughs> and I still laugh whenever I see that picture. I think Lindsey's breakout season really was last year. I, I think he's got another level to his game this year. Uh, but I think, you know, if he's the breakout guy, then what's Kevin Austin and Kyron Williams going to be? So I would lean towards them. But I do think, Brendan, you're very astute. And it was a great question, and uh, <laughs> I do think will be improved this year. Uh, quit, quit being so nice. Um, I, I think I think more of what he meant was he's he's like the guy. He is the number one offensive threat on on Notre Dame's offense. I think that's what he meant by breakout star. I don't think he's Will Fuller yet. Right. Yeah. And that, so I think that was. I think he was maybe seeing if we could make the case for that. And I think the case would be that he's the one receiver who doesn't have anyone else like him on the roster. He could end up. Um, being on the field the most of all the receivers just because of that. Um, certainly, I, we think we'll see a lot of rotations. But um, And we saw last year that Notre Dame likes to get him the ball um, and isn't afraid to be creative in doing that. And we'll see if Tommy Reese wants to, to do that as well. Um, I'd like to see him be a more complete receiver first before I would push my chips in on that. Um, but I, I, if that were the case, I, I could potentially be expecting that to happen with Braden Lindsay being – sort of the number one guy on this offense this year. But until I see that, I'm not ready to try to convince someone that that will be the case. Next one we have is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. Assuming Notre Dame plays their 11 games and there is no major COVID weirdness, what is your over-under on wins this season? Well, if they play the 11 regular season games, I have them going 10-1. and one. I, I think they're better than any team in the ACC other than Clemson. I think the North Carolina game's tricky. Maybe the Pittsburgh game, too, just because Pittsburgh's got a pretty good defense. Uh, but I still think Notre Dame should get to 10 wins. Yeah, I think if I were setting the line and we're talking about regular season record, I think I'd put the line at 10 because it seems like that's probably the most frequently – that would be the most best answer. Um, and that would be certainly difficult uh, for, for people to make a pick if they would think they could get to 9 or 11. Um, I think the line would probably be set at nine and a half. And if my money was on the line, I'd probably go under just because of the possibility for chaos this year. Um, but I'd still predict them to win 10 games if that kind of makes sense. And I know it sounds like kind of like a waffle a bit, but I think um, I would predict them to go 10 and one, just like you do. But if I had to put money on it, I would be very nervous of just something weird happening. So um, I, I would probably go with the under. All right, next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3 Any updates from the Duke camp on their team? 
Well, I had a little fun fact story that had quite a bit of information on it recently. But what I can tell you, Frank, is that you know Duke had four opt-outs, um, including a starting linebacker. They also recently lost their starting center to an ACL injury. I think one of their cornerbacks as well, maybe not a starter, but a, a depth guy. And, and this year you need all the depth you can get. You know, Duke is going to be a little bit different offensively. David Cutcliffe is a really good play caller. He has never done it since he's been at Duke. Uh, he is going to do it this year. So he's going to be the de facto offensive coordinator and play caller. You know, Duke has some really good players scattered around at different positions. Uh, Chris Rumpf uh, at defensive end is one of them. I think they've got some good running backs. And then Chase Bryce is going to be really interesting as the quarterback. He was Clemson's backup quarterback last year. Um, had to kind of win the job here in training camp. And they're pretty excited about him. They're, they're definitely going to be better at the quarterback position than the team we saw last November. Yeah, and I think uh, Eric McLean spoke to how the ACC conference has some good position groups, and one of those groups is defensive line. And I think Duke is among that group with Chris Rumpf and uh, Victor Dimukeji. Um, as, as pretty good defensive linemen on that front. So Notre Dame's offensive line will be tested um, in its season opener. But I imagine Notre Dame is happier preparing f- to play against Duke than Navy in their season opener. <laughs> so I, I think Notre Dame should be able to win, but I do think uh, Duke does have some, some interesting players uh, scattered throughout its roster, like you mentioned. Next question is from Baron Brown at B Brown JD. Are there protocols in place for if slash when a member of the coaching staff tests positive for COVID-19? For example, if Kelly were to test positive, would Mike Elston assume head coach responsibilities until the former could return? They all have contingency plans. And I think the NCAA is is even allowing non-coaching positions to step in like analysts if you lose a position coach or something. Um, So – yeah, there's absolutely – everybody's got a replacement. Even the media has replacements. We had a list, our, a replacement if we're feeling sick the day that we're coming to Notre Dame Stadium, we had a list our backup. Yeah, yeah, so they're allowing one person per outlet. And so if, if Eric's that one person and he's not feeling good, um, then we have to have a backup as well. Uh, Brian Kelly was actually asked directly who was his backup, and he – decided to make a joke and say that it was Lou Samoji of Blue and Gold Illustrated rather than answering it directly. But, yeah, I think it would be Mike Elston given that he's the associate head coach. Um, so I think that would make the most sense. Um, I, it has been interesting a little bit to me that Notre Dame has released some testing numbers in terms of the staff at times, but most more frequent, not, not as frequently as the, as the players. And so I think – I don't know. I would assume that if they are getting tested, they would include those numbers. But so it doesn't seem like they're getting tested as frequently. I would like to think that that would increase during the season because they don't want to risk anything during the season. Um, But we'll have to, uh, it might be a question worth following up on. Next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. Since since 2017, Notre Dame's best and most consistent position group has theoretically been the offensive line, yet the five best teams they've played in that span have stonewalled them. The backs haven't been great, but they haven't been zeros either. Notre Dame won't beat Clemson with these numbers. How do they fix it? Well, I would 
I always get stuck sometimes on the question. I think that defensive line has actually been more consistent than the offensive line in those three years. Um, however, in answering your question, I think there are some things that are going in their favor, including having all five stars back. One is I think they're going to – Tommy Reese is going to emphasize being able to run the ball and run the ball with physicality and toughness something I don't think was on the top of Chip Long's to-do list, especially when Jeff Quinn was the offensive line coach. I think there was some discord there between Jeff Quinn philosophically and Chip Long, and I think that contributed to it too. Um, and I think, you know, I think with better physicality and better technique, you're going to get better results, and I think we're going to see that, uh, you know, I had a chance to talk to Aaron Taylor a few weeks ago about this, and Aaron's pretty plugged into what's going on with Notre Dame's offensive line, and he gave it his stamp of approval. So it's good for me to copy off of his opinions. <laughs> yeah, this certainly isn't a, a new conversation. We've been talking about this for months and even years in terms of uh, how Notre Dame has maybe come up short, and certainly part of why we asked Eric McLean those questions earlier. Um, I think one thing is I think Notre Dame has to become a team that doesn't just run the ball when it's convenient to them. Um, I think they have to have uh, a philosophy that they can dominate and they need to establish the running game. I think Brian Kelly has even hinted at it at times of talking about, well, if there's this many hats in the box, we're going to throw the ball. And sometimes I think you just need to establish that you can, you can run the ball even into those fronts because then when you have to run the ball in those, in those situations on a third and short, then you're, you're more comfortable in those situations and you, you have more conviction in it. Um, I think Notre Dame has the, the pieces in place. Um, you have to make sure you don't have any weak links on the offensive line because as much as any position, it, it can get exposed if you have just one missed block um, or one miscommunication. And so I think that really goes a long way. And you would like to think that Notre Dame is in a position to have that with all those guys returning and all those guys with experience and, their talent level as well. Um, so they have to, to, to be reliable and consistent and uh, not just in the game that it matters. And, and I think that's part of like the convenience thing. I think I would rather if you see Notre Dame score five rushing touchdowns in a game in their blowout victories than throw five passing touchdowns, even though it might be easier to do that. And Ian Book can do that. I think Notre Dame needs to, to really build that um, identity of, of, of running the football um, and I also think there is room for criticism in the, at the running back position as well. I end the scheme, it, it, but I, uh, Jack said that the running backs haven't been zeros. Well, yes, I, I would agree with that, but they haven't been impact NFL guys either. And some of these defenses that Notre Dame has struggled against has had those kinds of playmakers on defense when Notre Dame hasn't necessarily had those guys I, I running back either. Next question is from Andrew Callen, and we are getting into the uh, silly question portion of the of the questions. Uh, Andrew Callen asked, are you and Eric in the Carter Carl's boneless wings camp, or are you riding with the Subway Domer and handsome 121 duck and demanding a more factually accurate name like Saucy Nugs? You know, I'm okay with boneless wings. They're different than chicken nuggets in that, Nuggets are for dipping, and the boneless wings already have sauce on them. All I care is whether they're delicious or not. <laughs> and, and the wings that 
boneless wings that I get are delicious. I get them from Buffalo Wild Wings. So I, if they want to call them buffaloes or wings or whatever, <laughs> I'm, I'm on board as long as they're delicious. Yeah, I do. I, 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 one, I like giving Carter a hard time. So when I found out that he was very against people making fun of boneless wings, that only encouraged me to make fun of boneless wings more. Uh, I do think it is a silly name, and I do prefer traditional wings, but I do like uh, boneless wings as well. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call them that. I think it's, it is kind of a funny and silly name, um, but I don't necessarily have an aversion to them. But Although I do think if you, you can get some pretty bad um, boneless wings, and I think that maybe the floor is a little bit higher on, on traditional wings. That you get, When you get a wing, you, you kind of know what you expect. When you get a boneless wing, it could be hit or miss. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, I'm in favor of changing the name if someone could come up with someone could do that. I would, I would love to know why people are so insistent on it remaining to be called boneless wings. Um, I guess just because they, they all have wing sauce on them. But um, I think it's, it's a funny conversation, and um, it's uh, – something that probably won't go away anytime soon, especially after that guy uh, spoke about it at a a town council meeting. (laughs) When I think of chicken McNugget or chicken nuggets, I think of in my old car, when I allowed my grandchildren to eat and they're finding those between the seats. (laughs) So I don't have great memories of nuggets. So yeah, you don't, you don't want your, uh, your boneless wings to be called chicken nuggets because then you'll start thinking of that. I I don't let the grandkids eat in the car anymore in the new (laughs) car. Next question is from Mikey G at Mikey Galv. And uh, we'll I'll give a little bit of an explanation on this one. Uh, so Brendan, uh, who asked the question earlier, uh, very piratey, um, who Eric talked about it with his Photoshop skills, he posed the question on Twitter of which Notre Dame reporter team would you trust to drive you to the ACC championship game in Charlotte? And so he Photoshopped um, the faces of different beat members onto characters from uh, movies. Uh, Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley of Irish Illustrated were the Back to the Future crew. Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna of The Athletic were the Talladega Knights characters. Um, Loose Emoji of Blue and Gold Illustrated was uh, the bandit in Smoking the Bandit. And Eric Carter and I were the Fast and Furious crew. Um, so Mikey asked, in the fictional Endy Media Drive to Charlotte, who is the Endy Insider crew? Who in the Endy Insider crew takes the wheel? I mean, Tyler, you know the answer to this. It's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good driver. I don't mind doing it. And uh, I threaten if you guys put on Taylor Swift to pull the car over and turn it around. Um, so that's my answer that I'm driving. Yeah, we, I, I, I tend to defer on that, although we do share. I don't make Eric drive the whole way when it's when long distances. But we do have quite the, the mileage resume together. We've driven to Tallahassee. We've driven to Clinton. We've driven to Boston. We've driven to Philadelphia. Back when I was uh, a young reporter, uh, we used to do more driving together, and so that was how uh, we uh, traveled the road together. So we, I think that was a test of our relationship if we were going to last together. Because if we didn't like each other, that would have been that would have been pretty bad. Uh, we did get rear-ended in in Elizabethtown, <laughs> Kentucky. Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Guy's biggest concern was that I wouldn't like his town anymore. <laughs> All right, Elizabethtown, Kentucky brings to mind two things: is that and Matt Elam, a former defensive line recruit that Notre Dame didn't end up getting. Uh, a couple of other questions that Mikey asked was, if you could have any Mario Kart power-up, what are you choosing? And he said, no lightning bolts. I'm not sure if you're aware of the Mario Kart power-ups, are you? I didn't, and I didn't look it up. I didn't want to be insincere. I have no idea what that is. 
So I'm going to let you answer that. Yeah, I think the star is the only answer. The star, Eric, basically makes you faster and makes you invincible. Um, so I think uh, that's the easy answer there. Um, you could do other things like uh, shoot out bananas that would slip people behind you or shoot shells that would uh, knock out cars in front of you. So depends how destructive you want it to be. Um, uh, and then the last question, which is probably another question you might not get the reference on, was how long would Carter last in Dom Toretto's crew? And Dom Toretto is the Vin Diesel character in the, in the Fast and the Furious. You know, Carter's got so many problems right now. <laughs> he, he, has, he had a wasp nest in his mirror, and then he texted me when I was going to some knee rehab today to tell me that he has two more wasp nests in his trunk. So I don't think he lasts five minutes with anybody. Yeah, Carter doesn't value his car enough to uh, to be in Dom Toretto's crew. I, Carter was not with us in South Bend for a while there. He spent several months down with his family in Dallas, um, which we were glad to let him do. Um, but he did leave his car unattended by his apartment, and that probably wasn't the, the smartest idea, or at least have someone check out. I didn't even think about it. I, I, I don't live that far from where he lives. I could have – checked on his car from time to time if needed. But yeah, he had, I think he had flat tires as well. It looked like his car had been sideswiped, he said. So uh, Carter didn't think too much about his car enough uh, when planning his, his, his trip back. So I think Dom Toretto would be pretty uh, displeased with that. And the last question we have is another kind of visual question um, from uh, P. Sully 20, or 226. And, you, and he said, you have to choose two options in this picture to fight alongside you against all the other options. Whom do you choose? So I'll run through the options. You won't be able to see the picture unless you go on Twitter, look at his tweet to us. But the pictures were jean jacket, Liam Eikenberg. And we, you get two Liam Eikenbergs, a mustache, Ian Book, and you get 10 of them. A cool as hell, Dalen Hayes, and you get three of them. A quarterback in his sights, Jeremiah Usukoromoa, you get five of those. Uh, a BK homeboy, you get 30 BK homeboys. Uh, you get four freshman All-American Kyle Hamiltons. You get... 15 offensive coordinator Tommy Reese's, you get 12 sleeveless hoodie Braden Lenzies, or you get 20 suited up Clark Lee. So you get to pick two of those to fight the rest of those. Who are you taking, Eric? I, I don't know that I'm going to get the math right on this, but I know <laughs> who the two people are I want. I want Liam Eichenberg, absolutely. I don't care if I only get one of him. <laughs> I want Dalen Hayes. Those are the two guys. I'll take – 30 Tommy Reese's or whatever it was against. Yeah. Those are the two guys I want fighting with me. See, I, I, I like the numbers and I, I think he gave us some decent options with the higher numbers with, I think Clark Lee could get after it. I, I don't know that I would want 20 Clark Lee's coming up against me, even if you did have two Liam Eikenberg's. Um, and uh, I think 12 Braden Lenzies would be a good number too. I don't know that Braden Lenzi might not be, it probably is, isn't the guy that you would take over any of those other players. I thought, although I'd probably take 12 Braden Lenzies over 12 Ian Books. Um, so I think that my choices would be 20 Clark Lees and 12 Braden Lenzies. And maybe that's just because I like, I like numbers too much. But um, I think it was a pretty funny question. Um, we, I, I can promise you the first time I talk to Liam Eikenberg, I will or someone will ask him, try to ask him about that jean jacket photo because that was – that was something else. And I wish I would have known about it when I wrote my feature on him <laughs> this summer. All right. That's it for this week's episode of pot of gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating. If you like what you hear, we we'll back next week 
to preview Notre Dame's matchup with Duke. Stick with NDInsider.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs all season long.